You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for college, for a house, and for retirement. And now that you're on your own, it's time to put yourself first. Is your money buying you the life that you want? If you're not sure, learn more by scheduling a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I just want women to take a pause and to say, how much is me telling myself a story? How much is this about patterns that I grew up with about how am I permitted to express my anger or not, or advocate for myself or not? And how is that impacting the way that I am seeing my situation right now? Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Have you ever had to deal with mean girls at work? Well, I'm betting the answer is yes. And I have going all the way back to my very first job, which believe it or not, was at Working Woman Magazine. You would think that a magazine with that title would actually have been friendly, but in fact, it was a masterclass at Mean Girls at Work. In fact, if a woman who came before you had to pay a particular set of dues, whether it was picking up dry cleaning or revising a story umpteen times for no particular reason or staying later than necessary until the last round of copy cleared the desk, well, you were going to have to pay those dues too. But I know for a fact that I didn't have it worse than most. According to the Civil Mediation Council, almost 40% of employees, male and female, have experienced workplace bullying. But it's no surprise that a 2020 study from the NIH found that more women are bullied in the workplace than men. And a good amount of that bullying is coming, yep, from other women. A story in The Atlantic by Olga Kazan laid out the case. She wrote, Large surveys by Pew and Gallup, as well as academics, show that when women have a preference as to the gender of their bosses and their colleagues, that preference is largely for men. She went on to point to a UCLA study that analyzed responses from more than 60,000 people and found that women, even those who were managers themselves, were more likely to want a male boss than a female one. Why? The participants explained, and this is a quote, that female bosses are emotional, catty, or bitchy. Men preferred male bosses too, but by a smaller margin than female participants did. With Mean Girls, the movie, hitting the screen yet again, we thought it would be a great time to check in with the original 
chronicler of Mean Girls. And by that, I mean Rosalind Wiseman. Rosalind Wiseman is the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, including Queen Bees and Wannabes, Helping Your Daughter Survive Clicks, Gossip, Boyfriends, and the New Realities of Girl World. That was the groundbreaking book that was the basis for Mean Girls, the iconic 2004 movie that became a 2018 Broadway musical, that became a 2024 movie musical. Clearly, we can't get enough. And these days, she spends most of her time working with schools, government agencies, and corporations addressing issues like recruitment, high staff turnover, and company culture, basically the aftermath of toxic work environments. She is here today to chat about what we can do if we find ourselves in situations like these. Rosalind, welcome. It is so good to see you. It's been way too long. It has been way too long. I am a huge fan. I am a huge fan of yours. I am so happy to be here with you. Oh, thank you so much. And you're calling in from Spain, which is just amazing. So it's late in your day, if I have that right. It is. But, you know, for Spain, it's not so late. It's only 6.30. Okay. It's not even not even dinner. It's not even time for drinks. It's not even time for drinks. <laughs> okay. All right. Excellent. So can you believe that Queen Bees and Wannabes and Mean Girls has had so many lives? No, no. I, you know, you've known me for a long time when Queen Bees and Wannabes first came out. And I think it surprised me for several reasons, but... One of them, and I think this answers your question, is that it was so obvious to me that the things that we learned as girls and as young women would impact us as women in all of our important relationships. And I think that is why it resonates that those issues are evergreen. How they play out can change, but those issues are evergreen. And listening to your introduction about the experience you first had at the magazine, it's just it's so... It's so hurtful and it's so damaging to all of us. And it is so unnecessary, of course, because it brings all women down. And it also, I think, perpetuates, I think, the second part of what you said, which is that women don't trust women in supervising positions. So I really see a connection in your introduction about the statistics and the research that you were sharing. When you look at high schoolers today, I mean, we would hope that we would outgrow this. We would hope that we would realize whether we were a queen bee or a wannabe or somewhere in between, that we would think about, oh my God, this was awful. I don't want my daughter to experience this, but I don't want to experience this as an adult woman again. And we would put some sort of an end to it. Why doesn't that happen? I think two reasons. One is because we like to convince ourselves that we have moved beyond it. And if we don't, I think, really get a handle on how we have grown up to handle conflict and to learn skills around conflict. And also that includes advocating for yourself and establishing boundaries and communicating those boundaries. That if we don't know how to do that and think about it as a practice in our everyday life, then and an ongoing practice that we are going to get really blindsided by experiences when we're an adult where we think that we should be able to handle things better 
or we think that other people around us will not be so mean or so catty, or we won't respond to it with so much anxiety. And so I think it's two things, right? I think that we are surprised by our reaction to it. And I think that we are surprised by other people behaving in ways that we really get so angry about, but we don't know what to do about. And I really think that's why it feels so blindsiding to women as adults that they are still dealing with these kinds of experiences. And when you're blindsided, it's really hard to be able to respond effectively. I'm going to circle back and talk about our daughters. I'm going to circle back and talk about those teenagers who, unlike us, have had to grow up with a digital device in their hands and how the world is for them to experience. But I want to talk about what you're doing currently. I picked up the phone to get you back on the show because of your current role helping organizations deal with bullies. There was a a recent profile in the New York Times when mean girls grow up and the writer described the work you're doing as coaching women on how to manage these feelings of anger and jealousy in the workplace. Tell me about when you started receiving emails from women describing their workplaces as one step too close to middle school? (laughs) Well, I mean, that happened pretty quickly after Queen Bees came out because mothers were reading it and women that were the first people that were reading Queen Bees back 20 plus years ago were counselors, teachers, people that were connected to education for the most part and parents. And then parents, of course, are in the working world. And so I started getting emails from parents saying, I see this in my workplace and I don't know what to do about it. Or I don't want my daughter coming into the workforce and having to deal with these issues. And I also got a lot of emails saying, you would never believe this, but my workplace is just like middle school. It's just like high school. It's clicky. People are going out for drinks and they're not inviting me or I'm getting shut out of a project or I'm involved in a project and I have to do all the work and this woman is talking behind my back. I mean, it's just like middle school. So I think, I mean, I know that I got a lot of correspondence from people about their experiences. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was that I had this extraordinary moment with a group of mostly men where I was talking about these issues and how they impact parenting and how they impact people in the workplace. And they were there because they're advisors to other people. So I was there initially to help them with their clients. And then this very strange thing happened where there was this moment and you could feel it in the room where it transitioned into them thinking about it for themselves and themselves in the workplace and the women that they work with. And this was mostly men that were in the room with me. It was in the financial industry. And they were thinking about it for themselves also, because I've always worked with men and women equally. Um, And it got really intense in the room. Like you really could feel the shift in the room of like, I can relate to what she's talking about. And then afterwards, I didn't know this, but the CEO of the company was in the room and he talked to me about what the sort of some of the basic philosophies and principles that I was training people on and said, this is really impactful to us. And he spoke to me about it. And so I was having people from different demographics talking to me about how the issues and dynamics that I was dealing with teenagers was impacting them as adults. And then I created trainings and and also, Jean, you know, I always, no matter what, no matter who I'm training or writing about or working with, 
I always bring in the people that are going to be on the receiving end of my work into the process of my writing and my thinking so that they can critique what I'm doing. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we consistently make in my field is that we give people advice without listening to them about their own experiences first. And that's what I did in the various demographics and then created these workshops and seminars and and content for people to listen to me and then they make it their own. They don't, it's not like you're going to say what I'm going to say exactly because then it's not you. It doesn't sound authentic. So that's how I got to the place I'm at with my work. So the men, because I don't want to let this drop, the men who were in the room, how are they relating? Do to other men what women do to other women? I wrote, after Queen Bees, several years later, I wrote a companion book or compliment, I guess, to Queen Bees and Wannabes called Masterminds and Wingmen. And I had 150 boys between fourth grade and college, like that whole span helped me write this book. And it gave me an incredible insight into the boys that I was working with at the time and the fathers that I was working with at the time and then the men that I was working with. And the thing that I talked about with those men was the difference between dignity and respect and that respect is often confused to mean the same thing as dignity. And that respect is actually not about, the definition of respect is about admiring someone's actions because you admire them for how they have conducted themselves. Dignity in contrast is that you are recognizing someone's essential worth. So respect is actually earned and dignity is a given. And one of the most complicated issues for all of us, but particularly for men, is that We all have the experience of having to show respect to someone that we don't respect because they are taking away the dignity of someone else. They are abusing their power and the authority they have, the position they have to demand respect, which is to demand obedience, actually, and a show of obedience and a show of respect. And that when you do that, it feels like you are somehow complicit in this power dynamic, that you have contributed to this person's ability to abuse power. And it doesn't matter if it's in the workplace or if it's in any aspect in your life. And I was talking to the men about that, and that resonated very strongly. When I tend to talk about that issue of dignity and respect, and that you always need to treat people with dignity... I am a believer in you always need to treat people with dignity, even if it looks the same as treating someone with respect, it feels very different in your heart. And it's not a power dynamic, right? Respect is often actually a display of power. When I talk about that with men, that tends to really get them very quiet and it gets very real, very fast. And that's what I was talking about with them in the workplace. So interesting that they have a whole different set of issues than we have as women, but they don't feel them any less strongly. Exactly. Let's come back to women for a second, because I like how you divided the problem into two halves. There's the question of what we're sort of doing to prepare perpetuate this. And then there's the question of how to deal with it if it's being done to us. So I know that this audience that I have here really likes solutions and likes, you know, ways to deal. Let's talk about how we perpetuate this first and what we can do to basically stop. Sure. 
Oh my gosh. There's so many ways. So one is that there's a difference between venting and talking behind someone's back. Venting is you have a problem, you're frustrated about it. You have somebody in your life that you trust that you can process your feelings with and possibly strategize what you want to do about it. And that is really important. I mean, that's a really important part of a relationship is to be able to process one's experiences in life, including things that are really frustrating. So that's venting. That's good. That's appropriate. That's within the confines of professionalism of like, I'm having this really big problem. I need to talk to you about it. I value your opinion. And I know that we can talk about this in a professional way and in a way where we're treating everyone with dignity. And then the other one is when you are going to somebody because you want to, in some way, undermine the person that you're frustrated with, you're going to somebody else and you're doing it strategically sometimes to undermine the other person and to devalue them. But sometimes what happens is that women will, and I mean, all people have the possibility of doing this, but because we're talking about women, that when women will go and they can hide it, it seems like they're saying like, I'm really talking to you because I really trust you and I'm really confiding in you and all that. But what they're really doing is undermining the other person. And I think we've got to be really honest with ourselves about and checking ourselves about why am I going to somebody else for a problem? What am I doing when I am doing this? What is my motivation and what do I want the outcome to be? And that's the kinds of questions that I want women to be asking themselves because it's not just unethical. It is unethical. But also when we do things like that, we are doing them because we believe somehow that we have less power. So we have to do these things that are actually not straightforward, not from a position of integrity, but from a position of somebody who feels that they have to do things in a hidden way because they don't have the authority or credibility or power to do them in a straightforward way. And I want women to take themselves more seriously and I want them to take their advocacy of themselves more seriously. So that's a way for you to take responsibility for yourself and in a way that also increases your own professionalism. Do you think we also do that because we feel like there's only so much room at the top? I guess so. I, you know, it's a really great question because I hear women talk about that and I, I hear them talk about it when they're not in the situation. What I hear them talk about more when they're actually in it is that they are just scared to death to actually tell people when they are frustrated. And women tell themselves stories about why they can't ever actually tell somebody what they're really feeling. And I really want to be clear here that I want to acknowledge that there are people who are in positions where they truly feel that if they speak their mind in a job, they're going to lose their job and their families are dependent on it and they cannot say anything. I really acknowledge that. And I want us to have some space to be able to distinguish between even people who believe that they're in that situation. I want them to just take a step back and be able to say, how do I know that to be true? Like, how do I actually know that to be true? And I want women to be able to not catastrophize in their minds the experiences of thinking about how they would advocate for themselves in their professional lives. So that is what I hear more from women who actually, when they come to me and tell me the problems they're having in work, it's so common for women to come to me and say, like, I want to advance in my job, but there's nowhere for me to go. Well, how do you know that? And what have you done to actually figure out if this is the case? Because I've also heard women say, 
I'm just going to go try and find another job somewhere so that I don't have to actually deal with my discomfort of asking that question of, is there more space in the company that I am in currently? But you might be in the same situation at the next place. So I just want women to take a pause and to say, how much is me telling myself a story? How much is this about patterns that I grew up with about how am I permitted to express my anger or not, or advocate for myself or not? And how is it impacting the way that I am seeing my situation right now? So we're talking about women perpetuating this. It's not a phenomenon. These behaviors, these sort of behaviors that we learned in middle school and we have just carried along with us through college into the workplace and up the corporate ladder as we've climbed it. The flip side is that sometimes we're on the receiving end of these behaviors, that sometimes other people are going out for drinks and they did not invite us. Sometimes we know that we are the person who is being talked about in the other meeting with the other women who are being bitchy about us. We have to take a very quick break, but when we come back, I want to dig into how we deal with that. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for years for college, and now that the kids are finally out of the house, it is time to put yourself first. It's time you took a look at all of your financial plans to see what you might need to change and how you can save and invest a little differently now that your life and your finances have found a little more freedom. That's why it's beyond time to schedule a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. We're back with Rosalind Wiseman, speaker, writer, author, advisor, thought leader, talking about mean girls and how we can't escape them. How do you deal if you are on the receiving end, if you are Janice and Regina George is breathing down your neck? First of all, I think that trying too hard is never a good thing. That I think that's never a good thing in human beings. Human beings don't like somebody who looks like they're trying too hard. It's just the reality of it. It's terrible to say, but it's true. And what does that mean? I mean, that means that you are looking for opportunities, but the way in which you come across is that you can't sort of hold your own in your own way, that you're not comfortable in your own skin, and that you are dependent on other people to make you feel whole. And a very few times, I think, do people actually articulate those words to themselves, but we can feel it in each other. And I just want us to think about that. I think in those situations, it can be incredibly helpful to find the ally that you really can actually get feedback from. So here's how I want you to go about finding an ally at work. Because I think it's really easy to say, well, go find somebody that you can talk to. Okay, well, what does that mean? So I would think about three things that you need in somebody that you would really trust at work. So we talk about being collegial and having colleagues. We talk about it sort of lightly or easily, but really truly. Like who do you think of as your colleague as the like, what are three things that you really have to have in somebody that you can work with? And so most people are going to say honesty, but then I want you to get more specific, which is like, well, how do they deliver being honest to you? Because there are people who can be honest, who can be terrible about the way they're being honest. Absolutely. <laughs> 
right? So you actually have to be like, well, how do I define what works for me as far as somebody communicating to me honesty? And then, by the way, you also have to give yourself a thing of like, well, and if people are being straight up with me and being honest, but not being mean about it, am I so uncomfortable with the feedback that I can't take it, right? So you got to also do some work on with yourself about like how you're receiving feedback. So it's that's a two-way street, but you don't want somebody who's going to say like, just being honest. I don't like anybody saying just anything because just is always one of those trick words that makes you actually, it's never a small thing. So I'm just being transparent. I'm just being honest. That's not helpful. So I want you to think about like, what does that look like to you? And then after you come up with those three characteristics of that person, then I want you to think about, do you have someone at work that fits those characteristics? And then, and this might seem sort of odd, but I actually want you to think about this. And again, this is one of those things where I would say it and you do it in your own way is I want you to go tell that person. Like, I want you to think about, I want you to just, you know, say to this person in whatever communication is most comfortable to you. I was thinking about who are the people at work that I really love working with the most and the reasons why. And I came up with these three reasons and you're actually on my list. And I just wanted you to know. And don't wait around for some big, like intense conversation with that person, because that's like a super intense thing to say. So don't like sit there, be like, you know, like whether you're going to have some awkward conversation, just say it and then go, just go. But then later you can say when it feels right to you and organic is choose why I wanted to think about who this person was at work, because I've been really struggling with how to join X group or how to make myself more valuable to other people. And so I'd like to be able to take 10 minutes of your time when is appropriate, when's right for you, where I could ask you some questions so you can give me some feedback about that. That's how I'd like for you to be able to reframe those dynamics where you feel like you're being left out. I love that. That's such amazing advice because it really is, if you can have one person that can give you that outer, it is an outer perspective. It's how you're viewed from the other side. It enables you to see yourself and what's going on a little bit more clearly. When is the point where you see this happening and you decide, yeah, I got to go? The point when you decide you got to go is when there is a pattern of behavior where you are not being treated with dignity, where you feel like you are not being acknowledged, where you feel like your identity, however you want to define that, is not being acknowledged, where you feel that your essential worth is not being recognized. And that could very much be connected to that you don't feel that the work that you have done is being respected, right? Because I always twin and or couple respect with work and actions. So if that's happening and there's a pattern of it and you have done your level best to be able to do the smallest thing possible to address the problem and the pattern continues, then I think that you start, if you feel that it's you know appropriate for your life context, then I think it's appropriate to start thinking about other options for you. We started this conversation with a conversation about girls, and I want to come back to girls because I would not want to be in middle school or even, I don't think, high school today. I think they've got it so much rougher than we had it, and I thought we had it pretty rough. For the women in our audience, and there are many who have daughters, sisters, nieces, granddaughters, how do we help them? Well, 
first of all, I think that relationships, the relationships that we have with each other are the things that get us through. And so even if you have a girl in your life who's constantly on her phone, I think being able to take a few moments to look her in the eye and say, you're important to me. And even if she's in that phase, even if she's in a phase, excuse me, not the phase, not all girls go through this, but even if she's in a phase where she rolls her eyes or does not in any way appreciate that you're important to her or that you are a great person or that you love her, anything like that. And you don't do it every day because it's like a lot, right? Because we are a lot. Women are a lot to the people in our lives. My children would say, do say that about me. I think my older one said that to me yesterday. But I think being able to do that strategically and say on a consistent basis, you're really, really, really important to me. And that's the kind of things that even though they're so simple are so incredibly important. And I also think that when girls are going through hard times that I try and focus on this is a moment. It is not a lifetime. And what's interesting about that is that when we focus on this as a moment, it gets easier. Our, our own anxiety decreases so that we can see the girl in front of us more easily. When our anxiety goes up, it actually contributes to the girl, in this case, having a situation where she pulls away from us and also is more likely to keep doing the pattern that she's doing so that it would be a lifetime. So I just had a dear friend of mine, dear high school friend of mine, and he is so lovely and smart and great. And so is his wife. And he has two daughters that are 15 and 14. And he just, he was just saying to me, like, they're not interesting people. They're like, not at all interesting. There is nothing that they are doing that is interesting. They don't read a book. They don't have things that they love. They just sit on Instagram. It's just, and these are good people and these are good parents. And sometimes they're going to go through a phase where they're not interesting. And I think the thing that we've really got to focus on is, yes, these phones complicate their lives immensely, but they also complicate our lives immensely. I mean, Jean, I could talk about this stuff forever, but all I would say is if you're worried about your daughter and the social media that she's doing, I want you to start with yourself first and how you're using social media. And I use particularly. If you're a parent, how are you are involved in Facebook parenting groups? Because there is some really obnoxious behavior that goes on there that is not okay. And we've got to be able to role model the behavior in these Facebook parenting groups if we're going to have any credibility with our own kids. Roz, thank you so much for this. It's so much fun. So good to see you. We can't let another decade go by before doing this again. Good. You promise. Okay. I'll take you up on it. <laughs> I promise. Okay. And we'll be back with Julia and your mailbag. When it comes to retirement, women want different things. We want safety, security, stability, and the ability to live life on our own terms. One way we can achieve all of that is with an annuity. If you're not familiar with annuities, the concept is that essentially you take a chunk of money and turn it into a paycheck that you can start drawing on when you want to, next year or next decade. The ParityFlex multi-year guaranteed annuity available from Gainbridge offers security and flexibility at a time when women need it most, retirement. A guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit means you'll have a consistent income even when your account balance is zero. Plus, you'll get guaranteed returns at 5.95% APY. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. 
please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for important information. This is a paid endorsement. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we're back for our mailbag with my daughter, Julia Chatsky. So we weren't such a mean girl's house growing up, but I'm very excited to see this new movie. Have you seen it yet? I was definitely an original girl. Like... I think I had it on my iPod at camp. Oh, where you were supposed to have no devices. Correct. It was like one of the things. Or maybe Chelsea had it on her iPod or or Izzy. Now I'll have to text them and see who had it. But it was definitely something that we would sneak around and watch. Again and again and again? Every night for seven weeks. (laughs) That and a lot of Maroon 5 music videos. Are you excited for this new version? I'm very, I'm actually going on Friday. Oh, wow. Are you going with your camp friends? Nope. Who are you going with? The one and only Adam. Very nice. <laughs> and did you have to talk him into this or? No, he gets to pick most of the movies. So he said, all right, you want to see Mean Girls on Friday? I said, sure do. He said, okay. I said, you know, it's a musical, right? He said, yeah. My dad kind of liked it. I said, all right. He said, so I'm going to try. I said, okay. So here we go. All right. You report back. I may go this weekend as well. I'm very excited about it. I uh, I really like the actress, Angry Rice, who plays Katie. She was in that Jennifer Garner miniseries, The Last Thing He Told Me, which I read as a book and then I watched. And she was really, really good. Cool. Anyway, very excited. We'll discuss when you report back. Let's take our first question. All right. Our first question today comes to us from Val. She writes... Hi, Jean. I'm a federal retiree over 12 years with a pension, and I also have a thrift savings plan, which is like a 401k. I have a good credit score, high 700s. I would like to assist my adult daughter in purchasing a home in the state they live in for herself and my infant grandchild. This would be her first home, purchase of a condo townhouse. The builder uses their own lender, who will be giving money incentives also. Is it wise for me to give money for the down payment or to become a co-owner on the property? I currently rent in my state. My credit score is higher than my child's, and the thinking is as a co-owner, it may bring down the mortgage points and the rate to provide a lesser monthly payment. The downside would be that as a co-owner, co-borrower, that it would affect my credit. What do you suggest? Thank you for your time, Val. So Val, first of all, I think this is really nice. We know that a lot of parents are helping children these days with down payments because getting into the market for that first home has just become so difficult because the supply is low, the prices are high, and interest rates have gone up. So I am sure that your daughter so appreciates the fact that you are willing to do this for her. I wouldn't co-sign. 
I think co-signing is a very slippery road. And although I know you're wary that this would affect your credit, which it could if she stops paying or if she is late or delinquent on any payments, what it also does is put you on the hook for the mortgage. And particularly at your stage in life, I definitely don't want that for you. The good news is that we are expecting interest rates to start to trend down in the next year, year and a half or so. And so what I would say is, as you're going through the process of looking for a home, helping your daughter look for a home, work on her credit score. Encourage her to work on her credit score by getting in the habit of paying bills on time every time, by making sure that she's not carrying a lot of credit card debt. And let her do the borrowing for this loan with the down payment that you give her and then encourage her as her credit score improves over time, which it should if she pays this mortgage on a regular basis, she'll be able to refinance as rates start to trend down in the future. But I just think that the idea of co-signing, particularly in this situation where I'm reading between the lines a little bit and sensing some sort of trepidation about your daughter's ability to pay on time, I think you're going to be better off just gifting her the money. So that's my thought. And good luck to you. Good luck to her. Let us know what happens. Yes, let us know. Our next question comes from Beth. She writes, Hi, Jean. What are your thoughts on reaching out to a former employee of a company you're interviewing with for that person's position to obtain company information? It's a company I think I want to work for based on benefits, but I'm in my 60s and I can't afford to leave the company I'm currently with if the new employer has a toxic environment and I'm unhappy. I've read mixed reviews on Indeed. Thank you. Beth. Oh, this is a tricky one, right? I am all for getting all of the information that you can before accepting a job with a company. But I could see this going one of two ways. And Julia, I'm interested in in your thoughts on this too. So, all right, scenario A, you reach out to this former employee. You say, hey, I'm interviewing with this company. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Or can we schedule a Zoom? I'd just like to hear your thoughts on what working there was like. That person could be extremely nice about it and say, sure, let's have a Zoom. Let's meet for a cup of coffee, give you all the information. But if that person, scenario B, still has friends at the company and they go back and they say, hey, I got this call from this person. I do or don't think they're right for the job. I got the sense that they were digging for dirt. It could play the other way. So I'm a little bit wary. I I think if you have a relationship with this person who held the job before or you can make some sort of personal connection, I might go for it. But if it's a complete stranger, I don't know. Jules, what do you think? I see both sides of the coin. Before I accepted my current job, I don't know if you remember this, but I was connected to a friend's friend who had previously worked there. And I texted her that I had the job offer. I think that's a key part. I think you wait until you have the job offer. 
And I was like, I just want, you know, your sense because I had heard mixed things. And she said, run. Really? Yeah. You don't remember this? I do not. Mm-hmm. She said, run. And I still accepted the job because in my gut, I don't know. I thought it would be great. And it's been great. It's been two years. And I don't plan, I mean, knock on wood, but I, I feel like I can grow my career here. On the counter side, when Adam was looking for jobs and he had two job offers and he got connected through his brother's friend of a friend to somebody about a firm, somebody said run and it was like the worst thing ever. So he didn't accept that job, went with another job and it's been the best thing ever. So I think a lot of it has to do with your gut, but I think a huge component is actually having the job offer before you go snooping. And I also think something that I did, obviously it's different. I'm in my 20s. This person's in their 60s. So I'd imagine that higher ups are already interviewing somebody in their 60s. But I asked to speak, you know, I was interviewed by more senior people, but then I asked to speak to peers and people that would be at my level. And I also asked to speak to the people that would be my reports because I thought it would be very informative about how they talk about their day-to-day or what they like in their manager. So maybe they could go this route and like, you know, talk to the more junior people, see that sort of lens. I don't know. It's tricky. I think it's a lot of going with your gut. It's tricky, but I think you gave much better advice on this question than I did, actually. I think that that component of having the offer first is absolutely, absolutely key. So Beth, take it from Julia on this one. Get the job offer, Beth. Get the job offer. Let us know what happens. Jules, thanks. Thanks for having me. If you've got any other money-related questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can send them our way by emailing us at mailbag at hermoney.com. And now we're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We are back with your money tip of the week. Right now is about the time where I am craving some sunshine and vitamin D. Are you also feeling like you need to get somewhere warm? But maybe you're saving your PTO for a time of year when you have a really special trip planned, or maybe just for summer. Well, then it might be time for a workcation. What's a workcation? Think about having a Mai Tai in one hand as you scroll through your inbox with the other. According to a recent survey from USA Today, nearly half of workers have taken a break like this one in the past year. Some people call them hush trips. Remote workers leave home, take off to someplace nice, and work from there. Confession, I'll be doing it next week from sunny Florida. But there is also a dark side to the trend. The inability to disconnect when you want to take a real vacation. If you're not particularly mindful, it could prove to be a struggle to switch off from work when you actually are on your paid time off. My advice If you really need some time in the sun, but you're very carefully guarding those vacation days, wrap your workcation 
around a weekend. That way, you'll at least get a good few days off where you can silence your notifications and enjoy that warm habitat. For more timely money tips like this one, subscribe to the Her Money newsletter at hermoney.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Edelman Financial Engines. Her Money is produced by Haley Pascalides. This show is mixed and mastered by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Check out our new podcast, How She Does It with Karen Feinerman, for intimate cocktail party-style conversations with today's most talented female leaders. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwavemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon. 